the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through James. I die it's it's not that it's not the end of me right he says it's just I got a new address and that's the way it is for a believer we get a new address so we can be with the Lord forever and so nothing to fear it's an unknown and in that it seems a little fearful but to know what scripture teaches us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord is the glorious hope of the church When you're a disciple of Jesus, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you about the secure hope and firm foundation that believers have. Because of the finished work and sacrifice of Jesus, believers don't have to fear death. Pastor Gary explains that this world is just a temporary home for the believer. The old will fade away and the new will come. Jesus will return. And when he does, he will create a new heaven and earth. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of James, chapter 4, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. James, you know, has a lot to say about speech and, you know, taming the tongue and and, uh, you know, all of chapter 3 pretty much was, was about taming the tongue and watching what we say. And, you know, don't, don't go to church and, and praise the Lord with, with your mouth and then turn around and, and curse because that's, that, again, is a duplicitous nature. And, and the same thing applies to the way that we should be towards one another. Don't be coming into church and praising God with your mouth and then turning around and speaking evil of other people. That's, that's not a good use of the tongue that God's given you. So don't speak evil. Don't speak down about people. And then the other thing he says there in, in these verses is don't judge one another. Because basically in doing so, you position yourself in the place of the law and the lawgiver. You know, when we, when we judge people, we are standing in the place of the law. And we are standing in the place of the Lord himself, who was the lawgiver, which is why James adds there in verse 12, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. In other words, and you and I aren't that lawgiver. There's only one, that's the Lord. And so that's why he asks rhetorically, who are you to judge another? Because there's only one lawgiver, and it ain't you, and it ain't me. Now, Something important, when, when, when we talk about, you know, not judging others, and that's what this section is speaking of here in part, sometimes people misunderstand the whole concept of judging one another, and, and they just kind of, with a broad stroke, 
think then that all forms of judgment are wrong, which isn't true. Uh, and, and, and thus, people who believe that all forms of judgment are wrong are quick to quote Scripture, even if they don't know Scripture, they know this much. Here it is. You ever heard somebody say this? I'm sure. Or have you ever said this? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Who are you to judge? You know, the Bible says, don't judge. You're judging me. Don't judge. Okay. Let's just get some context on the whole concept of judging. Okay. Let me, let me, let me just remind us. Not all judgment is wrong. I'm going to read from Matthew 7. You can turn there if you'd like, but you can just listen. From Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. I want you to listen to what Jesus said about judgment, because I, I want to balance the whole subject of, of judging one another by, by taking into context um, you know, other passages of Scripture so, so we can carefully understand this subject. So this is what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. He says, Judge not, lest you be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. Now, let's stop reading for just a moment. There's something else very important. He adds, but the first part of this is this warning about, you know, don't, don't be looking at somebody else and pointing out their faults when in fact you have the same faults or at least similar faults because that's hypocrisy. And that's why he says you hypocrite. But now listen to the rest of, of verse five of Matthew chapter seven. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now question, Doesn't that mean then that Jesus is saying not necessarily all judgment is wrong, but that there's a right way to judge? And based on Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, what Jesus is basically saying are two things, and this is an important thing. What he's saying is that we are to make right judgments, meaning without hypocrisy, that's number one, And number two, with the intent of helping a brother or sister who was doing something wrong. See, not all judgment is wrong. In other words, if you you see that someone is clearly doing something wrong, and you as a brother or sister don't intervene enough to call them out in love, making first check of your own heart that you're not doing the same thing and thus be guilty of hypocrisy. You see, when you step into somebody else's life to help them, you have to actually make a judgment. You have to make an assessment. You have to make an evaluation. Don't think all judgment is wrong. Don't think that, well, I can't ever speak into somebody else's life because the Bible says, judge not lest I be judged. Wait a minute. Yes, the Bible says that. Jesus just said it. I quoted it from Matthew 7. But what he says is there's an order. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. The wrong way is with hypocrisy. We have no business pointing something out in somebody else's life if we're guilty of the same or similar thing. That's the first thing Jesus says. Don't be a hypocrite about it. But he says, deal with your own issues so that then you can be in a better position to lovingly help a brother or sister. But to do that involves some measure of judgment. So we, we don't throw the baby out of the bathwater and think, well, all judgment is wrong. We're never supposed to judge another person. 
yet there's a right way to do it. Now, the question then becomes, well, then how am I supposed to recognize whether or not they're actually doing something wrong in order to interfere or step into the situation? And so with that in mind, there's an important distinction. I want to quote again from Jesus. This is now John 7, verse 24, where he says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. You notice that out of John 7, 24, Jesus actually calls us to make judgments. He says it's our responsibility as believers, if we really care about other people, to actually step into the situation and at times actually make judgments. So don't think to yourself, well, we're never supposed to get involved in somebody else pointing out some. No, no, no. Jesus says, do not judge by mere appearances, but judge with right judgment. So there's an important distinction here. And I want to point this out, especially for those of you taking notes, write this down. There's an important distinction. There's a difference between being judgmental, which is wrong, and making right judgments, which is right which is what God, Jesus calls us to there in John 7, 24. There's a difference between being judgmental, that's wrong. We shouldn't be judgmental, but we should make right judgments. Now, what's the difference between those two, and how can we know whether we're being judgmental or whether we are making right judgments, which is what Jesus actually calls us to do? So here's something that I hope will be helpful to you. This is the difference. Being judgmental is the evaluation of appearance based on personal standards. Making right judgments is the evaluation of actions based on God's standards. You see that difference? Being judgmental is when we play the game of evaluating people based on what it appears to be, and we don't even know all the facts. Appearances are dangerous. When people start making assessment of other people's lives based on appearance without knowing all the facts, and we measure those things based on our personal standards or like our personal preferences, that's being judgmental. Okay, you might have certain convictions about something that is not necessarily spelled out in Scripture, all right, whatever it might be. There's a number of things that you might have personal convictions about. That's not necessarily clearly spelled out as a standard in God's Word. It's just your personal conviction. The danger becomes when you start to impose that personal conviction on other people, and you may not do it verbally, but in your heart you're doing it because you're looking at what they do, and you're thinking to yourself, well, that's not right. I would never do that. And then you become judgmental in your heart towards them. So being judgmental is evaluating appearances based on personal standard. And let me just caution all of us, myself included. There's a real danger in drawing conclusions based on appearance. And it's done a lot of damage to people where, where you don't have all the facts, but you know, you're gathering enough information based on appearance or hearsay or something, and you're drawing conclusions. Let me tell you, In case you haven't learned the hard way, (laughs) when you start to evaluate people based on hearsay or appearance and not having all the facts because it's not clearly displayed by action, it's very, very dangerous to draw conclusions. 
You need to refrain from making judgments and drawing conclusions based on mere appearances. You may not have all the information right, okay? You may not have all the information right. Now, on the other hand, if someone is clearly displaying action, and I didn't want to spell it out and delineate it, but you know, it could be verbal action, it could be lifestyle action, it could be something that is clearly seen, noted, visible, undeniable action, and it's in conflict with something clearly spelled out in God's Word as God's standard, not your own personal preference, but God's standard, then we have an obligation. And the obligation first is, okay, I want to examine my own heart. I want to make sure I don't have wrong motives in confronting somebody. I want to make sure I'm not guilty of the same kind of thing going on in my own heart. If so, I'm not qualified to speak into this person's life. And so someone else is going to have to do that. All right. You get through the hypocrisy test first. It isn't isn't to say that any of us is perfect. None of us is. But at least we're not going to be hypocritical because we're guilty of the same thing or something similar. We might have our own issues that we're working on, right? So as long as there's not hypocrisy then, and it's clearly a violation in some kind of act or verbal thing of God's standard, then out of love for brother or sister, we should go to them. We should go to them privately. And, and you know, we should confront. We, we should talk honestly. We should talk openly. We, you know, we shouldn't, again, don't look down on them. Don't speak down on them. Don't speak evil of them. Don't gossip about it. Don't start telling other people, you know what, we need to get together and have a prayer meeting for so-and-so because I think so-and-so is doing this and that. You know, oh my goodness, how Christians can get together and wrap it in Christianese. And, and what it really is is gossip and slander and backbiting and all that kind of nonsense. I mean, listen, just go to a brother or sister, just privately, between you and him or you and her, and say, listen, this is clear what you're doing. It's pretty obvious. And this is a violation of Scripture. And let me, let me just even show you some verses here that weigh on my heart. And can we just pray about this? Because I love you enough to be honest with you, to tell you the truth. And I've said this before. I think one of the highest forms of respect you can show someone is to speak the truth to them and to speak the truth in love because you care enough. So when James writes here, I just wanted to go off on that little side tangent, because when James writes here about, you know, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge, we need to balance it with all of Scripture and take into consideration other things that Jesus says about judging, that there's actually a right way and a wrong way, but it doesn't mean that we should completely check out and never speak into somebody else's life. There's a distinction between being judgmental and which is wrong, and making right judgments, which is right. And we do it for the sake of people that we love, examining our own hearts first. Everybody clear on that? Good? Okay. Let's keep reading verse 13. Let's finish out the chapter. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go in such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow... For what is your life? It is even a vapor. Circle that word. Some of your translations say mist. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him 
it is sin. So let's save that last verse for the end, but in the last few minutes I have left, verses 13 through 16, he speaks here about the uncertainty of life. And he's not denying the fact, I'm sure, that there's anything wrong with having plans and setting goals. But what he's addressing is the issue of don't be presumptuous about tomorrow, because none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. And we need to live each day to its fullest. Again, sure, plan, prepare. I hope you have, you know, you're looking towards retirement and you're thinking about, you know, a retirement plan. It's, it's not to say, well, you know, only be concerned about today, but it, he's simply saying, don't be presumptuous about the guarantee of tomorrow because we don't have that guarantee. And so he says, it's better just to kind of say, you know, if the Lord wills, we'll do this. If the Lord wills, we'll do that. I'm not always sure what the Lord wills for tomorrow, next year, five years down the road. And, and so we just want to be faithful to, to today and, and, not, and not think to ourselves, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, we're guaranteed tomorrow because we're not. We don't know. And he likens life to a vapor. Or again, some of your translations say like a mist. Um, it vanishes. Th- this is the temporal nature of life. We, we forget sometimes how precious life is. And we forget sometimes how fragile life is. Um, we do, you know, God knows the beginning of our days from the end, but we don't. And, and so we have to live in such a way that we recognize, not guaranteed tomorrow. Life is like a mist. In fact, the Bible, just wanted to point out a, a few things that the Bible compares life to. Number one is a vapor, a mist, that we're, what we're reading here in James chapter 4, 14. But also in Psalm 78, 39, life is like a passing breath. It says in that passage, for he remembered that we were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. Or life is also in the Bible compared to withering grass in 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25. It says, because all flesh is as grass and, as, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And then the question becomes for all of us, when this life is over, as short as it is, that's the comparison in all these terms. It's like vapor, it's like mist, it's like breath, it's gone, it's like grass. Where will you go? Where will you spend eternity? Now, every single one of us needs to settle that. If you're here tonight, you're, un, you're unsettled about that. We, we, need to, we need to get that settled even before you leave. If you, if you ask some people, what is life like after death? What is your concept of life after death? You're going to get a variety of answers. If you ask a Jehovah's Witness, for example, what is life like after death? They, they tell you something called soul sleep. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that when you die, your body goes in the ground and you stay there. Your soul is asleep in the ground until the return of Christ and then you come to life. If you ask a Hindu what happens to you when you die... They will talk to you about reincarnation. And their belief system is that when you die, you get reincarnated, and not always as another human being. You could become reincarnated as an animal. You could be reincarnated as an object, which is the why. I mean, think about, think about just the, the insanity of that. Okay, I'm going to use that word because 
you, if I've never been to Calcutta, India, but just look at pictures of abject poverty and starvation in the streets of Calcutta, India. Why? While cows walk freely all around, which could be a delicious hamburger for somebody, but why don't they kill the cows and feed the starving children on the streets of Calcutta? Because that cow could be Uncle Charlie. That cow could be Uncle Charlie, who's been reincarnated as a cow. We don't want to kill the cow, because then we'll we'll be killing Uncle Charlie. Kill the cow. Feed some people. But see, in that religious form, they don't want to do that because that's what reincarnation is about. All right, let me tell you what the Bible says. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, and he talks about how to be present, to be absent from the body, the 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, he says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. All right? What Christianity teaches is that when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, here's what happens at death. Your body separates from your spirit. Your spirit leaves your body and goes to be with the Lord. Now your body gets buried in the ground and returns to dust. Your your physical body is composed of the same 17 chemical elements as dirt. Hydrogen, oxygen, and 15 other trace chemicals. So you're created from the dust of the earth... And to the dust of the earth you shall return. Whether it's natural decomposition over about 30 years or whether it's through cremation, which is about 30 minutes. Take your pick. It doesn't really matter. You're going back to dust. All right? But here's the beauty. In knowing Christ as your Savior, upon death, your spirit separates from your body. Your spirit goes to be with the Lord. Your your body returns to dust. And then on one glorious day, when the Lord returns, the dead in Christ shall rise. Now what that means is your glorified body comes up out of the grave, reunites with your spirit so that you can be then like Christ because Christ received a glorified body after he rose from the dead and we shall be like him, the Bible teaches us. So one day we'll get a glorified body and and it will never perish, spoil, or fade, never sag or droop, or ache, all right? Never break, all right? And if you're young, you can't appreciate what I'm saying, but the older you get, you appreciate. Praise God, you get a new tent, amen. There's a reason why the Bible compares the human body to a tent, because if you've ever been camping, you know the parallel, you know the similarities. Tents leak. Tents smell. Tents are fragile. They tear all kinds of things, okay? But the Bible tells us that one day we get a glorified body that's imperishable, unites with our spirit, and so we shall be with the Lord forever. So as as much as death is an unknown for us as Christians, it's just a transition. You know what? When Billy Graham died, uh, his son Franklin talked about how, you know, his dad always mentioned that you know, when I die, it's, it's, not the, it's not the end of me, right? He says, it's just, I got a new address. And that's the way it is for a believer. We get a new address so we can be with the Lord forever. And so, nothing to fear. It's an unknown, and in that, it seems a little fearful. But to know what Scripture teaches us, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
is the glorious hope of the church. Pastor Gary Hamrick is bringing us through the book of James in the current series on Cornerstone Connection. The book of James is filled with incredible words to live by, like these. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. These are hard words to practice, but James gives us a reason. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There is nothing more beautiful than a faithful heart, but the path to growing one is filled with hard things. James tells us in chapter 1, verse 4, that when steadfastness has had its full effect, you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So next time you face a trial or hardship, remember these words from James and begin to count it all joy. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Do you live in the area? Take the next step and come see us in person. We would love to share a Sunday service with you at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 in the morning. We're also here every Wednesday night at 7. When you enter into community, you start to grow in the faith at a faster pace. We'd love to be that community for you. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'll be right here again next time. Come back and see us as we learn how to follow Jesus more closely together on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.